This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of total ankle orthoplasty from the foot and ankle section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Total ankle arthroplasty is an alternative to ankle arthrodesis for the treatment of end-stage ankle osteoarthritis. The procedure attempts to preserve functional range of motion, which would otherwise be sacrificed with ankle arthrodesis. Contraindications include active infection, peripheral vascular disease, charcoal arthropathy, severe osteoporosis, osteonecrosis of the talus, and peripheral neuropathy. Now, let's get into the episode. Let's start with a quick history of total ankle arthroplasty. We'll go over first-generation total ankle arthroplasty, second-generation total ankle arthroplasty, and third-generation total ankle arthroplasty. So in first-generation total ankle arthroplasty, the majority of designs were highly constrained or semi-constrained two-component prostheses. The first generation used cement fixation on both the tailor and tibial sides. First generation total ankle arthroplasty had a high incidence of loosening, wide osteolysis, subsidence, and mechanical failure of prosthesis components. Moving on to second generation total ankle arthroplasty, the majority were two-component fixed-bearing systems with a polyethylene-bearing surface incorporated into the tailor or tibial component. The second generation had more conservative bone cuts, and there was elimination of bone cement in favor of press-fit designs with porous coating for bony ingrowth. Finally, moving on to third-generation total ankle arthroplasty, this was characterized by the addition of a third component, which was an independent polyethylene mobile-bearing meniscus. Third-generation total ankle arthroplasty placed a greater importance on the use of ligaments to retain stability, the need for anatomic balancing following component insertion, and minimal bone resection. Implants approved by the FDA include the Scandinavian Total Ankle Replacement, or the STAR system, which is produced by Small Bone Innovations in Morrisville, Pennsylvania. InBone by Wright Medical Technology, which is based in Arlington, Tennessee. Agility by Depew, based in Warsaw, Indiana. And the Salto Talaris from Tournier, Montbonnet, France. As far as outcomes with respect to pain and function, total ankle arthroplasty produces a significant improvement in pain and function. Preoperative range of motion is the best predictor for postoperative range of motion with minimal additional benefit in range of motion gained from total ankle arthroplasty. There is little high-quality evidence comparing total ankle arthroplasty versus ankle arthrodesis. However, total ankle arthroplasty has superior performance on uneven surfaces compared to ankle arthrodesis. As far as survivorship, Total ankle arthroplasty survivorship at 10 years ranges from 70 to 90%. There is no evidence that three-component designs are better than two-component designs. As far as indications for total ankle arthroplasty, the diagnosis of unilateral or bilateral end-stage ankle osteoarthritis is the indication. Favorable patient factors include older, specifically middle to old-aged, low-demand, reasonably mobile patients with no significant comorbidities, patients with normal or low body mass index, patients with a well-aligned and stable hind foot, as well as good soft tissue conditions. Contraindications include active infection, peripheral vascular disease, inadequate soft tissue envelope, charcoal arthropathy, insufficient bone stock, severe osteoporosis, and or osteonecrosis of the talus. As far as preoperative imaging, recommended views on radiographs include a weight-bearing AP and lateral views of the ankle. Findings include the extent of the arthritis. 
an MRI may show the presence of osteonecrosis, amount of involvement, bone loss, and size of subchondral cysts. Now let's go over the surgical technique for a total ankle arthroplasty in a bit more detail. As far as the approach, the vast majority of systems utilize an anterior approach to the ankle via the interval between the tibialis anterior and the extensor hallucis longus. The goals of total ankle arthroplasty is to restore mechanical alignment to the ankle. This is achieved by alignment guides that allow for precise cuts of the tibia, talus, and in some systems, the fibula. Recent iterations of total ankle arthroplasty systems have incorporated ligamentous balancing as a crucial part of the operative procedure. It's imperative to achieve a stable, neutrally aligned, plantigrade, weight-bearing position of the ankle and the hind foot. However, ligament reconstruction, tendon transfers, osteotomies, heel cord lengthening, and arthrodesis may be necessary. Now let's go over some technical considerations, specifically soft tissue considerations, and implant placement. As far as soft tissue considerations, use a long incision to decrease the tension on the skin, perform thick skin flaps to maintain vascularity, minimizing use of retractors has been emphasized in the literature, and make sure to avoid the tibialis anterior sheath, as this prevents tendon bowstringing and its resultant wound complications. As far as implant placement, common technical errors include placing the prosthesis too lateral, using too small a prosthesis, which subsides, and failing to solve preoperative varus or valgus malalignment and attempting to replace an ankle that is too anteriorly subluxated. Now, let's go over the major complications after a total ankle arthroplasty. The ones to know include delayed wound healing, superficial wound infection, deep wound infection, sensory deficits, intraoperative fracture, component loosening, subsidence, and osteolysis. So delayed wound healing is the most common complication and is reported in 4% to 17% of cases in the literature. Deep wound infection ranges from 0.5% to 3.5% of cases. Studies have shown a low success rate of component reimplantation, and painful total ankle arthroplasty workup should include CBC, ESR, and CRP. Another complication includes sensory deficits, which can be secondary to an anterior incision and its proximity to the superficial and deep perineal nerves. Reported rates of sensory deficits are as high as 21%. Intraoperative fracture is another potential complication, and the medial malleolus tends to fracture more often than the lateral malleolus. Intraoperative fractures occur in the narrow bone bridge between the ankle joint and the outer cortex of the tibia or the fibula. Causes include overextending the plafond cut too medially or laterally, making a cut too proximal in the tibia, using an oversized tibial component, and or distraction of the ankle with an external fixator. Prevention of intraoperative fracture includes using a prophylactic K-wire pinning or screw fixation prior to osteotomy cut. Component loosening is another potential complication where the Taylor component fails more commonly than the tibial component. Moving on to subsidence, in the setting of this complication, you may need to convert to an ankle fusion. First, you will decide if there is an infection. Then you should decide whether to fuse across the subtalar joint, otherwise known as a TTC fusion, and then decide what bone graft to use. You will use a particulate cancellous graft when there's less than 2 centimeters of Taylor bone loss, or a bulk allograft if there's greater than 2 centimeters of bone loss. Options for a bulk allograft include a femoral head allograft, which is the graft of choice if a TTC fusion is chosen, a Campbell allograft, which are wedges of tricortical iliac crest, 
and there's also the option of a fresh frozen distal tibial allograft. Next, you should decide what type of fixation you will use, whether a nail, plate, or a nail and a plate. Finally, osteolysis is another potential complication. Keep in mind that polyethylene wear results in osteolysis with large, expansive cystic lesions in the tibia or the talus. A CT with a metal artifact reduction protocol is the best study to evaluate for the extent of osteolysis. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 56-year-old patient presents with three months of right ankle pain. The patient underwent a total ankle arthroplasty six years ago and has remained relatively painless since the procedure. The patient denies any fevers or chills. Serum ESR and CRP are 19 millimeters per hour and 1.1 milligrams per liter, respectively. Complete blood count revealed a white blood cell count of 9,000 cells per milliliter. Physical examination of the surgical wound reveals a well-healed incision and no evidence of drainage or sinus tracts. Synovial fluid analysis from the ankle consisted of 900 nucleated cells per milliliter, 44% neutrophils, negative gram stain, and no growth on cultures. AP and lateral radiographs of the right ankle show a total ankle arthroplasty prosthesis and osteolysis that is present surrounding the tibial component and subsidence of the Taylor component. What is the most appropriate next step? And the choices are 1. Bone scan. 2. CT with metal artifact reducing protocol. 3. Repeat aspiration. 4. Routine follow-up and five, two-stage revision. The correct answer to this question is two, CT with metal artifact reducing protocol. So the patient in the question stem is presenting with a painful total ankle arthroplasty that is likely due to aseptic loosening. The most appropriate step in treatment would be to obtain a CT scan with artifact reducing protocol to determine the extent of osteolysis. To quickly review, total ankle arthroplasty is an effective treatment for symptomatic arthritis of the tibio-talar joint. Studies have shown that outcomes are best when utilized for primary osteoarthritis, with worse outcomes being associated with post-traumatic arthritis and inflammatory arthritis. It is speculated that previous ankle surgery and increased tissue laxity is attributable to this finding. Overall, pain relief after total ankle arthroplasty is equivalent to arthrodesis, However, functional outcomes after total ankle arthroplasty are better due to preserved ankle range of motion. Persistent pain after total ankle arthroplasty can occur, with concern for osteolysis leading to implant subsidence. Persistent pain after total ankle arthroplasty should, therefore, be thoroughly evaluated with a metal artifact reducing protocol CT scan of the ankle. Moving on to the next question. A 66-year-old patient with diabetes underwent a left total ankle arthroplasty two years ago. The patient has developed left ankle erythema, swelling, and pain over the last five weeks. An AP and a lateral radiograph of the left ankle shows a total ankle arthroplasty prosthesis, while a joint aspiration reveals 70,000 white blood cells with gram-positive cocci in clusters. What is the most appropriate treatment and the expected outcome? And the choices are 1. IV antibiotics and prosthesis retention, 2. Irrigation and debridement with polyethylene exchange and prosthesis retention, 3. Antibiotic spacer and successful reimplantation of arthroplasty components, 
4. Amputation and successful infection eradication. And 5. Antibiotic spacer and unlikely for reimplantation of prosthesis. The correct answer to this question is 5. Antibiotic spacer and unlikely for reimplantation of prosthesis. So the patient in the question stem is presenting with a chronic prosthetic joint infection, which will require component explant and antibiotic spacer placement. Despite aggressive treatment measures, many patients with prosthetic ankle infections will be unlikely to have reimplantation of a prosthesis. To quickly review, prosthetic ankle infections are devastating complications associated with high patient morbidity. Chronic infections are defined as greater than four weeks from the index procedure and acute infections for less than four weeks. Irrigation and debridement with polyethylene exchange is an option for acute infections, whereas component explantation with antibiotic spacer for chronic infections. Few prosthetic ankle infections will have successful reimplantation due to either persistent infection, extensive bone loss from debridement, or high risk for recurrent infection. Moving on to the next question. A 67-year-old patient presents with a several-year history of chronic right medial ankle pain that has failed conservative treatment. Despite the use of orthotics and Arizona bracing, the patient's foot has become flatter over time. There is tenderness along the joint line and pain with passive dorsiflexion and plantar flexion of the tibio-talar joint. Weakness and pain are appreciated with resisted foot inversion. The patient has a rigid hind foot and is unable to perform a single heel raise. An AP radiograph of the ankle shows severe tibiotalar arthritis with valgus tilting of the tibiotalar joint. A lateral radiograph of the ankle demonstrates tibiotalar arthritis with decreased calcaneal pitch and an increased Miri's angle. An AP radiograph of the foot displays stage 4 disease with evidence of diffuse degenerative changes and Taylor head uncoverage. What is the most appropriate treatment? And the choices are 1. Medial slide calcaneal osteotomy. FDL transfer to the navicular, lateral column lengthening, cotton osteotomy, calcaneo-navicular ligament reconstruction with peroneus longus tendon, and deltoid ligament reconstruction, 2. Supramalleolar osteotomy, 3. Pantalar arthrodesis, 4. Total ankle arthroplasty, and 5. Triple arthrodesis with deltoid ligament reconstruction. The correct answer to this question is 3, pantalar arthrodesis. So the patient is presenting with stage 4 posterior tibial tendon insufficiency with symptomatic osteoarthritis of the tibiotalar joint and a rigid hind foot. A pantalar fusion is the most appropriate treatment choice at this time. Posterior tibial tendon insufficiency can be divided into four stages, which are characterized by the presence of a rigid or supple hind foot and progressive foot deformity. Stage 4 posterior tibial tendon insufficiency is characteristic of deltoid ligament insufficiency with tibiotalar tilting. In the absence of tibiotalar arthritis, a triple arthrodesis and deltoid ligament reconstruction can be performed to preserve the joint. In the presence of tibiotalar arthritis, an arthrodesis procedure, such as a pantalar fusion, that addresses the arthritic joint and also the forefoot deformity can be performed. In a stage 4 variant with a supple hind foot, intact posterior tibial tendon strength, and no forefoot deformity, a total ankle arthroplasty could be performed. Moving on to the next question. A 66-year-old man undergoes a total ankle replacement. An unrecognized intraoperative complication occurred, and he now returns for follow-up at six weeks. 
Radiographs reveal a chronic medial malleolar fracture. Which of the following is not a risk factor for this intraoperative complication? And the choices are 1. Saw blade excursion. 2. Tibial component size. 3. Tibial component position. 4. Joint distraction with an external fixator. And 5. Medial malleolar pinning. The correct answer to this question is 5. Medial malleolar pinning. So prophylactic intraoperative pinning of the medial malleolus helps to prevent intraoperative medial malleolar fractures rather than cause them. To quickly review, periprosthetic fractures of the medial malleolus are more common than lateral fractures. Known causes include uncontrolled saw blade excursion, excessively medial or lateral placement of the tibial prosthesis, or oversized tibial prosthesis. The fibula lies behind the talus in a posterior position and may be cut if the direction of the cut is not appropriate. Repeated pin placement for changes in template position also creates stress risers and should also be avoided. Prophylactic K-wire or screw insertion through the medial malleolus prior to osteotomy may help prevent fracture. And moving on to the final question. A 45-year-old female presents with persistent ankle pain nine years after total ankle arthroplasty. Radiographs at the three, six, and nine-year or current time point show the Scandinavian total ankle replacement or star prosthesis with gradual subsidence into the subtalar joint and loss of talar bone stock. The workup for infection is negative. What is the next best step? And the choices are 1. Revision of the talar component and polyethylene exchange. 2. Revision of the tibial component and polyethylene exchange. 3. Revision of both talar and tibial components and polyethylene exchange. 4. Tibiotalocalcaneal or TTC arthrodesis. And 5. Tibiotalocalcaneal or TTC arthrodesis with structural allograft. The correct answer to this question is 5. Tibiotalocalcaneal or TTC arthrodesis with structural allograft. So the patient in the question stem has progressive talar bone loss and talar component subsidence and violation of the subtalar joint after total ankle arthroplasty. Tibiotalocalcaneal arthrodesis is necessary and femoral head bulk allograft is necessary to make up for bone loss and restore height. To quickly review, total ankle arthroplasty has a higher rate of reoperation, specifically up to 30%, and a lower 5-year survival, up to 60%, then total knee arthroplasty and total hip arthroplasty. Loss of bone stock leaves fusion as the treatment of choice. The subtalar joint should be included if there is insufficient talar bone stock or if talar component subsidence crosses the subtalar joint or if there is pre-existing subtalar joint arthrosis. Structural bone graft options include the Campbell technique with tricortical iliac crest wedges, femoral head allograft, and fresh frozen distal tibial allograft. For large talar losses, femoral head allograft is the graft of choice. That's all for this review about total ankle arthroplasty. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word 
and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.